The following is my conversation with Lee Robinson, Head of Developer Relations at Vercel, which recently launched Next.js 12, the most popular framework in the most popular programming language in the world. The conversation can be broken into two parts. The first covering the new features in Next.js, primarily Next.js middleware and edge handlers with zero cold start, thanks to the Cloudflare workers. The Next.js live real-time collaboration feature and how they're rewriting everything in Rust. The last third covers our respective views on developer relations, both doing the job and hiring for it. Along the way, we touch on Cloudflare versus Vercel, Remix versus Next.js, Static Export versus Dynamic Rendering, Webpack versus SWC, OpenTelemetry and Observability, WASM, and awesome people we know in the industry. This conversation could be viewed together with my previous discussions with Ward and Abi of the Gatsby team. Together, Next.js and Gatsby represent two converging perspectives in React performance and developer experience. I hope you enjoyed these long-form conversations I'm trying to produce with amazing developers. I still don't have a name for it. I don't know what the plan is. I just know that I enjoy it. And the feedback from you guys have been really great. Still figuring out the production process. I'm hopefully coming through a little better than I was last time because I was in a hotel last time at KubeCon, and I know I just had to get something out. This time, I have a little bit more time. And still, any tips are welcome. If you like this, share it with a friend. If you have requests for other guests, tag them on social media. I want to make this a space where passionate builders and doers can talk about their craft and where things are going. You know, just for, for people who might not know, the, the mission at Vercel, one of the, the points at Vercel is to build the SDK for the web. And we believe that's something that has all the necessary tools built in to make a great web experience. And that considers having strong defaults, having good components that allow you to optimize the performance of your site. And I think what we found so far in investing in this approach with Next.js is overall it's been working. The, the metrics that we've been tracking, like core web vitals for Next.js sites are going up by teams adopting these components and strategies that we're, we're helping you know, teams you know, improve their vitals with, whether that's the image component, script optimizations, uh, font optimizations, you know, including ESLint by default with Next.js specific rules that help with performance and accessibility, and even just the larger theme of conformance that we talked about at the last event, which is just trying to help developers do the right thing and, and get into the right performance um, threshold. So there's really, that's kind of like the philosophy. What we're launching at conference is a few different things. One, it will be a new version of Next.js, obviously. Um, and it's, it's focused around, I would say, three different things. One, performance with a brand new Rust compiler that um, has some really impressive results on performance improvements, so that's good. Two is further um, expanding Next.js Live, trying to bring collaboration into the browser. We kind of gave a sneak peek at the last event, but going more into that. And then the last one is introducing a new primitive in Next.js called middleware that enables it to be used with edge functions. And I think this one's really exciting because it eliminates uh, some of the trade-offs of serverless like cold boots. Um, so there's a lot there. We can start with either one of those three, whichever one you're most excited to hear about first. <laughs> oh my God, you just dropped that bomb. Um, so for the you know, first time I'm hearing about this, uh, yeah, screw it. Let's 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 go into the edge thing. Um, <laughs> so middleware as uh, and el eliminating cold 
starts essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, tell me more. Uh, how are you eliminating cold starts? Yeah. So first, with like the concept of middleware being a new primitive in Next.js, like we one of the things I hear a lot, especially with people who are self-hosting, is like I miss middleware from Express. Yeah, that was great. Like why 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 don't we have that? And also, you know, that same group of people recognizing that there's trade-offs with serverless that maybe they don't like, you know, they, they can't get over the, the cold start. They can't get over the connection pooling. And these are real things that we have to recognize. Right. So we're introducing this concept of middleware and a new edge runtime to try to bring back some of the flexibility that you had with servers in, in this middleware, while also preparing for the future of the web at the edge and really aligning with web APIs. So with middleware, it's essentially the code over configuration approach, which is like temporal, right? It's, it's allowing developers to have complete flexibility from simple use cases all the way up to the advanced. So getting access to the request and potentially modifying it with a rewrite, redirect, headers, you know, modifying the response, streaming HTML, all that good stuff. And just trying to give developers the tools to do things like A-B testing or feature flags, server-side analytics, bot protection. I mean, the, the possibilities are really endless there with how you can take advantage of that. So specifically then this runtime that we're crafting it around is just gonna be the web standards, right? The web APIs like Fetch and JavaScript V8 engine. So specifically, if you use Next.js on Vercel, we're going to deploy these as edge functions. And these edge functions you know, have no cold boots and they deploy globally by default. So I'm sure you're probably wondering like implementation details. So the initial version of this is built on top of workers, which is amazing because we love Cloudflare, we love what they're doing, but it's really designed for any web API or any V8 engine. So we're not really sure where that will grow into, but we love Cloudflare and we think they're doing a great job. So we're excited to, to build this first version on workers. Does that mean, so oh, so many questions, holy shit. Um, is it a separate file? So first, like, I, I'm, very, I'm very obsessed with like the mechanics of it. Like yes. I just like uh, by convention add a separate mm-hmm. file that, that just says like, I don't know, middleware.js and then throw exactly. everything. Okay. All right. Exactly. So it's a new primitive in Next.js underscore middleware dot JS or TS. Yeah. And it can be at the top level of your directory of pages uh-huh. and it would apply globally for your entire application. And it can also be nested in sub routes. So if I have slash dashboard and I only want to apply like the, the user logged in, logged out uh, redirect for like a, a dashboard, I can do that just for a specific subset of routes, for example. That's awesome. Or if I want to do like more advanced uh, cores headers or something like that, I can, I can do that too. And this may be a dumb question, but uh, how does this work with serverless server components? Mm-hmm. Cause I feel like there's some inter- interaction here. Yeah. 100%. Really it's, it's trying to align with the future of where React's going. You know, Next.js being a framework built on top of React, um, it's important for us to stay aligned with that vision. And we, we feel that they're heading in the right direction. So the, the overarching theme there, I think, is that there's really, in, in working with a lot of teams using Next.js or, you know, teams who are on Vercel, we've kind of found that like 
there's nothing that's really static. Like personalization and experimentation have kind of destroyed static only for a lot of use cases. Now the benefits of static are very real. Like it's, it, there's so many good things about it. So we're trying to help bring the power of dynamic code to the speed guarantees of static essentially. And that's really aligned with the future of React, I think. Um, a meta note on that is that I think a lot of people like React serving components doesn't feel real <laughs> because it was like released and then, you know, there hasn't been as much updates there. But I mean, I shout out to the React team for the working group. I think that's helped a lot uh, in, in increasing transparency there on what's being worked on. But just to help like shed the, I don't know, the confusion there, it's definitely being worked on. You know, PRs are landing. The first, some of the first PRs are landing in Next.js. I think, I think the first PR that I've seen that was Next.js specific code for React Core was opened, which is kind of interesting. <laughs> like it was like Next.js specific details in React Core, uh, very meta. But um, yeah, so we we're planning to have a demo of React at the edge for Next.js Conf. And the, the first application of this is React 18 with suspense on the server. So server-side rendering with suspense. Um, when used in an edge function, it allows you to stream in content from the server. And I think I'm actually pretty optimistic about this because it's, it's better than I expected. Like it, it got further than I thought. I, I think in my head, I was like, oh, React Server Components, that's the, that's the incredible like thing we're striving for. <laughs> and suspense on the server is pretty good. React Server Components will take it even further, but just getting suspense more natively integrated into server rendering is is a pretty big a pretty big improvement. Got it. Yeah, uh, I, I have heard. I can imagine. I don't have any personal experience myself with uh, doing manually doing the server side rendering, but I keep hearing from Adam at Airbnb. I, I don't mm -hmm. think he's at Airbnb anymore, but. Um, he really impressed upon me like how much work they were doing just to yeah. uh, to do data caching and, and server-side rendering. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so, wow. I mean, first of all, I want to make a whole bunch of demos now on like the, <laughs> the middleware. Like, you know, you, you can use this for so many things. And yeah, we should have a pretty decent set of demos that drop at conference. I think we have like 10 right now that we've oh. been building. Um, we've been working to, you know, figure out all the different use cases that you can use this for. I mean, there's so many, it's, it's really up to the developer's imagination, I guess. Yeah. We can't wait to see what you'll build. Yeah. Classic <laughs> line. In other words, we have no idea what you're going to build. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, it's funny. Cause like, you know, I'll, I'll speak to like the Netlify angle on this. Uh, we launched uh, edge stuff, uh, maybe like a year or so ago, mm -hmm. um, but it's very limited to like essentially internationalization. Um, mm -hmm. what's, what makes this different? I don't understand. It feels different. Well, you know, in a lot of ways, the, the, the Netlify edge functions or edge, edge handlers, I think they're called. Yep. Um, that, that same use case is something that we hear from customers too for internationalization, which is like even in Next.js, there's, there's teams where the config works for them, like the default internationalization config, and it's great. But then there's a lot of other people that say, I have really complex routing rules and I, I need the benefits of writing code 
I don't want to mess with this massive configuration file. Like you've entered me in YAML hell, like get me out of YAML hell. Um, so I think it's, it's similar in that regard too. I don't know what uh, edge handlers are built on. I, I, to be honest, I haven't tried them because um, I think it's still in like a private access thing, but it's, I think there's some, some shared ideas there. Yeah, I haven't tried them either. <laughs> but I mean, I, I was there at the demo, uh, and then I was—I uh, don't know—I thought I thought that that might be the natural sort of evolution of Jamstack, um, mm -hmm. and I was trying to frame it as such. But then uh, I I wasn't sure, um, and so okay, so let, let's talk a little. I, I'm very curious about this part, which is mm -hmm. so when I launch whatever the next version, what is the version number? Um, uh, 12, 12. Okay. Uh, when I launched 12 on Vercel, uh, do I need a Cloudflare account? Do nope. you, does it run on your Cloudflare account? So, okay. From a developer's point of view, they don't have to ever think about the infrastructure that it runs on, which is yep. great. That's awesome. Um, because, and especially yeah. too, from like an implementation detail, like I think it's good to have that layer of abstraction for us. I mean, there's still obviously going to be tons of people who use Cloudflare workers on their own, and that's and that's great. But from a from a platform, I guess, building on top, it's good for us to have that abstraction. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so there there is some kind of like, I guess, business level deal between Vercel and Cloudflare, where like, um, you know, as as I become a Vercel customer, like I'm essentially backdooring into a Cloudflare customer. Do do people actually put Cloudflare in front of Vercel? Or how does like, what if I'm using like the rest of Cloudflare for like, you know, traditional CDN DDoS protection mm -hmm. stuff? How does that work? Yeah, yeah. Um, people do put Cloudflare in front of Vercel. I think largely because of the configuration problem. Like the, we can only go so far with config. Like until we have primitives for defining any code, there would inevitably be customers who wanted the flexibility of, you know, doing something like bot protection. For example, bot protection right now, there isn't a great integrated solution into Vercel, whereas Cloudflare has an integrated solution for that. But then we heard from customers who said, I really want to use bot protection, but I want to use Datadome. And the interesting thing about this is that, you know, that abstraction allows it to work with any bot protection provider they want on Vercel. So the way we look at it is inevitably, there will probably be still people who use Cloudflare but it helps reduce the number of edge cases or you know, features that people would need to put a CDN in front of our CDN. <laughs> yeah, um, this was a relevant, again, something that we dealt with at Nellify as well. Uh, we had a whole blog post or like a community support forum, which was an FAQ, like, do I need Cloudflare in front of Nellify? Nellify is obviously very keen to say no, but then at the same time, like there are things that Cloudflare does that Nellify doesn't do. So. Yeah. I mean, you're basically <laughs> lying if you say that like, no, like, and as much as I would wish that to be true, like from a support perspective on the Vercel side, there's so many weird bugs you can get into when yeah. you have a CDN in front of a CDN, like, you know, making sure the caches are aligned. Like that's, yes. that's tricky. It's very yes. tricky. So I would love to say no, but unfortunately we just have to keep iterating on our product to get to a point where, you know, we have um, a, a robust edge network that satisfies all of our customers' needs. Got it. Okay. All right. Cool. Um, if I am self-hosting versus uh, Next.js, mm -hmm. I can't use this, right? Like, how does, You can. So, yeah. How does that work? Yeah. That's the great thing about it. Um, when you self-host, it's kind of like Express middleware. Um, it's still oh, wrapping okay. the, the request and the response of, of everything in your application. 
fundamentally, the only difference is when you're deploying with Next Start, it's on a server, right? So the, the output of Next Build is essentially its public API. And you know, from a DevRel perspective, I'm working on documenting that better because it's not exactly clear that that's like the, the API there. But if, if you're trying to build on top of that, then you can essentially take the build outputs from an edge function or edge middleware and deploy it to Cloudflare workers or I don't know, Fastly has Wasm at Edge or something. There, there's other solutions like that too. So yeah, that's that's kind of the contract. It, we want to make sure that it always works self-hosted. We don't want to put features that are gated in that regard. Yeah, got it, got it. Um, no, I wasn't sure if like I had to like spin up a separate deploy to a Cloudflare worker as part of my next my self-hosted mm. Next.js deployment. So, so uh, from sense. a Next.js self-hosted perspective, it actually has no uh, understanding of Vercel or Cloudflare or, or anything really. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's just built on web APIs and a pretty strict runtime. So it's okay. not exposing everything. It's only exposing specific parts of that that we feel like are going to add value. Got it. Got it. Cool. Okay. Have, I, have, I, have we covered uh, everything to do with the edge stuff? Uh, is there anything that you... Um, there's one, there's one more thing that's kind of interesting with React 18 is that one of the, the cons with Next.js right now is that you can only do data fetching on a per page level. Like you have Git server-side props and you, you fetch data for that whole page. What React 18 is really enabling and, and getting towards React server components is truly doing data fetching at the component level. And the more interesting thing is intermixing static and dynamic. So kind of going back to what I said earlier, where it's like, it's really hard to make something fully static, but if you can intermix static and dynamic, you can still get the benefits of both. So imagine a world where you load your marketing page and your navigation is static, cached at the component level, your hero is dynamic, fetching from your CMS, then you have a list of the most recent items below it, and that uses ISR, incremental static regeneration semantics to fetch new data every, let's say 20 seconds. So it's still static, but it's fetching new data all within the same page, all using the same structure around suspense. So suspense on the server is kind of unlocking that unification of, I think a world where Get static props and get server-side props don't exist anymore. Like eventually, I think you get rid of those specific APIs because it's all just React. <laughs> Which is awesome, right? Like it's so good. I love That's that. That's a great tagline. Uh, React is just JavaScript and Next.js is just React. Pretty much. Yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. Uh, okay. It, it makes me, your mention of ISR makes me wonder about the other big... Not so big. The mm -hmm. other up and coming, I don't know, React Meta Framework Remix mm. is coming up. They're, I, they're supposed to launch sometime soon. I have no idea when exactly. Mm -hmm. um, and they're making a big deal out of like, uh, forget all, all these three letter acronyms, use yeah. standard browser caching. Mm -hmm. uh, what's been the next year's response on that? Yeah. Well, I mean, overall, their team has a ton of great experience. And I, I mean, I respect everything they're doing. And, you know, they are right in some ways. Browser caching is 
drastically undervalued and underutilized by many developers, many Next.js developers too. I try to, I try to preach that, that you can just do like response dot set header and say, yeah. Hey, throw a cache control header on here. Yeah. Uh, like I use that on my personal site to like cache responses from the Spotify API. So I don't destroy my rate limit and destroy my, my free queue. Um, but at the same time, there's one thing that's missing, which is persisted storage. So a good example of this that I actually just saw um, like a, about a week ago, um, I saw a site on Bercel and it was doing server rendering with cache control headers. And the site hadn't been deployed for like a while, like 60 plus days. And it was connecting to a database as a service. And that database as a service had downtime. So I got an alert from Checkly that told me that this site was down. And I went and looked at it and I went to the page and you know, just it threw up the error page. It was completely down. But it was just a static page, like it was a blog. So this blog that had generated some static asset was down because of a database provider's like intermediate downtime. And I think this is a lot of the, the value of what gets preached about static is that you have those guarantees about availability. So what ISR and related solutions try to do is respect that you want static generated assets while still having content that changes and being able to update that over time. So for example, in this instance, if it would have been ISR, this person could have still had a yep. blog that was fetching new content, but when it gets generated, not only is it cached, it's also globally distributed to every region <laughs> and put at that edge. Uh, seriously over-engineered blog, but yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Like the, it, the, the, the crazy thing about it for me is like ISR and, and that solution, it's, it's very complex, but it, it enables a whole new swath of developers to utilize that technology. Like nobody's yeah. going to go set that up for their blog on their own infra. Like it's just not worth it. Yeah. Uh, you would just server render it or you would just do like a, a completely immutable build, right? Just static stuff. So it is interesting. You made me, uh, I, I want to double check some terminology here. So you talk about ISR so much. Uh, does mm -hmm. Next.js just not emphasize static rendering at all now? Like you, there used to be a, a frame of mind that you could view like, okay, stat, uh, Next.js is three modes. One is mm -hmm. the traditional server mode. Yep. Uh, the other is a pure static site generator. And then the, other, the third is a serverless mode. Um, but yeah. it occurs to me that if you're pure ISR, you kind of replicate the, the static generator. Um, yeah. I would say my perspective on it is trying not to be dogmatic about where teams are at, because for a lot of teams, they do want to do static only. And then a lot of teams, they need dynamic only. And then a lot of teams, they want, you know, some mix of both. So from a Next.js perspective right now, where we're at, you can still use things like next export if you truly yes, don't want a server at all. Like you just want an HTML file yeah. and then just get rid of everything else. And I think what we're seeing though is on a long enough time span, I don't know how that plays out with React moving more and more logic to the server. Yeah, Because I think that there has to be a layer of abstraction there to give you the benefits of static while still respecting that you have dynamic data in some regard. Yeah. 
Okay. Uh, I mean, you know, you can be, be bold and get rid of it. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we could, but at the same, I, I think my view on next export is like, it's going to stick around because there's still people who utilize it and they, they want to put it on GitHub pages or something like yeah. they want to put it on their, you know, their, their server somewhere. Yeah, it doesn't cost you too much. Yeah. yeah it's, it's just completely free. Put it up somewhere. But then at the same time, I think developers are going to get really excited about a lot of the stuff you can do with intermixing more of the client and the server and want to try it out. Cause at least yeah. decoupled from a next yes thing, like from a Vercel perspective, you deploy a static app or a next start app. And it's really the same thing from a, you know, ease of use. It's this, like, you might as well deploy the one that has more functionality. Yes. Yes. Now I was going to make the comparison, like, you know, if, if, and this is not true. Uh, I, am not, you know, saying that if, if Vercel is Apple and Next.js is the iPhone, then next export is like the headphone jack. Mm. Uh, and then you could be like, <laughs> have a bold yeah. move and re remove it. And uh, people will be complaining about it for years. Um, okay, cool. You, you um, do. Well, one uh, little small note on that, though, yeah. on that though, that's funny is like, there are going to be things that we will have to remove in the oh. interest of re like reducing bundle size to make perf better for the majority of users. Oh, yeah, so overall, our philosophy is like, we really, really try not to do breaking changes. Like we want to make everything incrementally adoptable. But for example, with like Webpack 4, I think over 95% of apps are now on Webpack 5. So like that adoption has transitioned pretty well over the last year, I'd say. So at some point in the future, we'll remove Webpack 4. And that's, you know, there might be a small subset of people that will have to migrate over, but the vast majority is going to get smaller bundle sizes because, you know, there's less less JavaScript you're, you're sending. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. All right. Let's, uh, let's cover some of the other stuff as well. Cause I wanted to make sure that I get a sense of, uh, uh, those two things as well. So preview. Um, so we talked, um, I mean, we didn't talk about it, but, uh, yeah. What's, what's, what's new in preview. Yeah. So the, the story around previewing content is that at the last the last event that we had, the special edition of Next.js Comp, <laughs> uh, which I don't know if we'll do again. I think it maybe was more confusing than it was like for the branding no, I, of I it, I guess. I loved it. I but... loved it. It's, like, it's a 30-minute conference. One yeah, down. yeah. It was, it was to the point for sure. <laughs> but this one, it's been fun. I just actually got back to all the speakers who are, who are going to be in it. So I'm really excited to see everybody's talks this year. I saw it. Uh, you're, you're having Mahmood on. Uh, so mm -hmm. that's, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we, we talked about Next.js Live at the last event, where it's essentially trying to bring collaboration further into the browser. So reimagining the dev engine that runs Next.js such that it can be enabled, you know, only in the browser. And it's funny because it ties into what I just talked about with Edge, that Edge runtime, you know, it's designed for the browser. And it also ties into the new compiler that we're shipping with Next.js, which is the Rust-based compiler. Um, I'll talk about that next, but really both of those things are enabling us now to run Next.js in the browser, hit save, you know, update your code and have it be instant, and then also build in Git integration on top of that. So you make some changes, you hit a button, you open a PR, right? You commit those changes, you're, you're done. Trying to reduce the feedback loop there and make it easier for, for teams to collaborate, whether it's copywriters, designers, you know, anyone on your team. Yeah. Um, 
as far as I know, you're using Replicash um, yeah. for the real-time presence or mm -hmm. edit. Do you have cursors? I don't know if you have cursors. Yeah. I haven't seen it. Yeah, yeah there's um, presence cursors for the different people who are collaborating. Amazing. Um, there's going to be commenting. Um, there's uh, obviously code editing as well, too. And then, I don't know, we, we just hired a PM, Becca, who's going to be leading that project. She'll be speaking at NextJSConf. And she has some pretty great ideas for where to take that in the future. Okay. Okay. So this is like a whole, I, I don't know. I don't know how to phrase it because this is like a new functionality that is spinning up as a collaboration. I mean, how much of this is, again, again, sorry with these questions, like how much of this is Next.js uh, is Vercel specific or mm -hmm. how much is, you know, runnable in Next.js? I, I, I feel yeah. like you may have addressed this in the last conference, but then I also mm -hmm. haven't tried it since. So I don't know. Yeah, so what we talked about the last conference was specifically the dev engine is yep. what's open source. And that's what's actually gonna be you know, brought to the world now, which is this new runtime that's okay. gonna be enabled um, to, you know, to run in the browser. That's what Next.js Live uses. The, the part that's for cell specific and is the account integration and the commenting and, and that sort of thing. So overall, it's more of a, it's more of a Vercel feature, I would say. Um, but a lot of the core details of it that are making its way into open source for Next.js are pretty interesting and I think will probably be influencing other frameworks in some regards. So I, I feel pretty good about the, the edge runtime there. Yeah. It, there's a, it's, I see some headless CMSs also working on, I guess, a real-time collaboration layer. So I always mm -hmm. wonder how this interacts with those other efforts. I don't have a strong yeah. view on this either. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just noticing that, uh, like Stackback Studio. I don't know if you've, you've ever yeah. chatted with um, Ohad and what he's doing. That's the promised land for me is like direct integration with your content editor, so that you know, in Next.js right now you have preview mode, which is I want to generate static pages, but I still need to go preview content from my headless CMS and make sure it looks good before I, you know, merge to production or press that button to update. And that's pretty good, that's helped, but we can do better. Like we can do real-time collaboration in the browser, hook it up to my CMS of choice, edit my content and actually see those changes live on the site. We're not there yet, but I think that will happen in the future. I'm excited about that. Yeah, that'd be really cool. But yeah, um, it was interesting. Yeah. I mentioned the Rust compiler, which I wanted yeah, to talk about. That. Yeah. Cause that's, that's a really big focus of this event too. And I think just stepping back a little bit like the JavaScript ecosystem, there's been so much talk about ES build and V and just in general, faster build tools, which overall is it's great. It's a net win for all developers. It's pushing JavaScript tooling forward and it's helping bring developers into the future. And that was like the goal of ES build, right? It's like helping show what is possible with using, you know, go or other low level languages to make your JavaScript applications faster. Um, so I'm really excited about that. And I think, you know, you never hear a developer say, man, I wish this was slower. Like <laughs> this could, this could just be a little bit slower. So we, we know that developers love speed. And I think that's why we're really going all in betting on rust and, and building this new rust compiler. Um, we hired KDY who created SWC and Maya who worked on parcel and, you know, specifically for SWC, which is what this rust compiler is based on. Uh, it's, it's more of a library and, and less of a framework. So it's giving you the abstractions to do 
code transformations. Uh, so tools like Next.js and Parcel and Deno are using those transformations to, you know, I don't know, transpile your code or bundle your code, or it could be a lot of things, really. It's giving you the primitives to do those. And I mean, across the ecosystem, you're seeing minification, transpilation, formatting, bundling, linting, like all these things people are checking out and rust. So like Deno, which, you know, is the replacement for Node.js, it's, it has Ooh, strong it's like, statement there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The optimistic replacement for Node.js on a, a long enough time span. <laughs> it has like linting, formatting, and some other things that's using SWC for, and then like, you know, Rome, which is again, like the optimistic <laughs> replace all your infra with this is also using Rust. So a lot of the stars are aligned there, I think for, for Rust, it's, it's, it's a good language. Uh, I have no experience in it whatsoever. I took a look at the Rust book and it seemed <laughs> very complicated. Are you learning Rust? Is, the, is this I like am. a, okay. Yeah, I'm, it, I mean, I'm trying. <laughs> I'm, like, uh, I'm definitely not great with low-level programming. That's what got me into web development in the first place. I was like, sure. oh, I like this design stuff way more. Yeah. Like, I like yeah. this CSS. Declarative, uh, it shows up. Um, yes. <laughs> like, okay, obviously, uh, probably people don't need to know any Rust to use to benefit from this this stuff. Um, yeah. But it seems like you're, you know, you're hiring a bunch of expertise in-house. And what I heard, so I listened to Tim Likens. Mm -hmm. talk with Sarah Dayan on her podcast. Um, mm -hmm. And he said that basically you're rewriting the entire Babel universe in Rust. Um, <laughs> yeah. and, and Pretty much, like, yeah. Uh, okay, all right. Um. <laughs> it's That's honestly, cool. I, I have to give a huge shout out to the team because it's, it's incredible to see how much they've got done with that already. I mean, it's, a, it's an ecosystem that's been around for a while and for them to come port a lot of that to, to Rust has been really fun to watch. And I think... The, you know, these, these results might change, but early results, I think we're seeing like three times faster HMR or fast refresh and like five times faster builds. So it's, it's drastic how much better it's, it's been when we've, you know, validated it with customers or validated it on, you know, our own stuff internally. And the, the really crazy part to me is like, there's still so much more to go. Like we're just getting started with optimizations. There's yeah. so many pieces that, we can really fine tune. Part of the work leading up to the conference was getting tracing support built into Next.js, um, built on open telemetry, or sorry, open, open tracing, open telemetry. I can't remember which one it is, but uh, that allows, it's, it's, I mean, one, it's, it's great for Next.js developers, but it also allows the team to really understand what's slowing down, you know, a massive Next.js application and get, you know, uh, traces and spans of like specifically what's going wrong yeah. so we can fine tune all the knobs. Yeah. Yeah. I had a conversation with charity majors about this because she's mm. all about the observability. And we talked mm. about like, what does that mean? What does observability for front-end developers mean? Mm -hmm. And I think she's, she said, yeah, there's some people using honeycomb on their build process and figuring mm -hmm. out uh, what's slow and what could be improved. Um, it depends. I, I, you know, I don't know much about the open telemetry thing. Uh, we are implementing it as well for us. Uh, it seems to be far and away the, the up and coming leader, even though it's like still pretty new actually. Um, mm -hmm. um, but it's, it's uh, everyone agrees it's the future for some reason. So yeah, uh, whatever, like as, as if there's a standard, then people can build tooling on top of that standard. And I'm always in favor of standards. So um, yeah, I mean, it, that sounds, that sounds really amazing, you know, for, for more observability um, seems like a, a win, pure win there. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's also helpful too, just from a debugging, like when people come to me and they say, Hey, my app's not working great. Can you help me figure it out? I'm like, I have no idea. Uh, it's really nice to be able to say, send me your trace file and then I'll look at it, Oof, which is amazing. so much better. Cause I mean, yeah. you can open it up in VS code and there's like a VS code extension to like, look at your trace. So nice. Yeah. So nice. Um, I hope you demo that or, or put it on YouTube somehow. Cause, um, I think you have a mental image that I, I only vaguely see where you see it much more clear than I do. Mm. Um, so that'd be a good video idea, actually. That that's a really good idea. I should, I should do that. Yeah. <laughs> I like that suggestion. Yeah, because uh, devs, I mean, front end devs have no idea about this stuff, right? Like our, our idea of observability is console log. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I, I definitely agree. I'm learning a lot as I go. That, that's been my history is you know, this doesn't work through a console log. And then I see the Next.js team, you know, doing all this amazing work. I'm like, oh, there's there's actually all this insight here that I'm just not using. <laughs> have, you, have you tried uh, Next.js with Replay, actually? Have, have you had that conversation with them? Yeah, they're building some great stuff. I think they're they might use Next.js. Uh, I think I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, but like I, I wonder how much of like bug reporting can just go away or be much easier with just the replay. Yeah, yeah, it's it's amazing. So yeah, I mean, the the Rust compiler I'm I'm super excited about. It's it's really oh, interesting to what were you there, say? There's there's one more item which I wanted to clarify. So you hired Tobias. You yep. have Webpack 4 and 5, yeah, uh, and you have SWC. You just said SWC can also do bundling. Yep. Uh, what's up? Yeah, I think <laughs> there is this perception that when we hired Tobias, like we married Webpack, which isn't true. Yeah. Like, no, we, I mean, you could be a sponsor. I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I mean, we, from a DevRel perspective, we don't do a good job about advocating this, but we've been sponsoring Webpack since like 2018 and, and Babel and it's like some other stuff too. So we've been helping that ecosystem. And when we hired Tobias, it was, I mean, one, he's incredible. And two, it makes a lot of sense because of you know the bedrock of Next.js was built on that. But I think a lot of people viewed it as like, well, obviously they're going all in on Webpack now. And while we have been making you know massive improvements to Webpack, Huge shout out to him and the team for making that so much faster. There's still so much more we can do. And I think overall, the team on the long time span is really betting on Rust and eventually WASM too, as, as things progress further. So I think Webpack's going to be around for a while, especially for a backwards compatibility standpoint. But you know, thinking on the five to 10 year range, um, I, I can view a world where it's, it's Rust and, and WASM. Can you talk more about the WASM part? Uh, that's new. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So one of the reasons we chose Rust is because I think it has the best outlook for compiling to WASM um, versus maybe some of the other low-level languages. And really what that means for Next.js developers is more standardization around the browser. Help, you know, the browser can do a lot. Let's let the browser use service workers or offload as much as we can to it, especially with WASM. So I think on a long enough time span, we'll try to enable that as much as possible in the library. You know, with, with Next.js Live, we're already utilizing um, WASM for some things. Uh, and I think we'll, we'll go even further down that road. Wow. Wow. That's really cool. It's still um, pretty new though. So I don't want it to sound like, you know, it's, it's coming soon. But on a long enough time span, I think it will. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, so uh, for people who don't know, both Rust and Wasm came from Mozilla. That's why they're kind of tied at the hip and mm-hmm. um, not necessarily anymore because uh, <laughs> Mozilla kind of broke up. But uh, yeah, I, I think I think still philosophically, uh, Rust is always going to be the, the best option for targeting Wasm. It's just not clear for a lot of people, including 2018 me, why, why Wasm if you mm-hmm. are not doing, um, if you're not like, Porting Doom to the browser, right? Like that, yeah. that's kind of like the the well, typical. The the current state of the of the tooling is that like the the Wasm output is actually pretty big in a lot of instances. It's yes, not as, as streamlined well. as, as what people think it is. So yeah. there's some work to go still for sure. Yeah. Cool. All right. Um uh that's that's all great. Uh congrats on on what is going to be a successful next year's conf. Um I, I think the conference strategy, by the way, is also really awesome. And I'm basically uh, trying to steal that for temporal. We haven't we don't have a conference yet. What we're doing is the Git Nation strategy and then the next the Vercel strategy. So Git Nation, yeah. what they do is they they hold like a series of meetups to uh, when they when they launch the new country, like uh Git Nation that they started in Amsterdam. Mm-hmm. And they're like a conference is conference professional conference organizer let's just put it like mm-hmm. that um have you been to one of their you probably uh, only the remote ones yeah. not the in-person ones oh i'm sure they'll have you at the at yeah the i'll be there in the future huge um you'll be there this year um maybe we'll see <laughs> uh, okay yeah uh, the travel yeah i mean so yeah travel's not great anyway so uh yeah they, they they'll see a meetup um, and then get a regular attendance list and build up like all the all the attendees and guest lists, and then they'll launch a conference at the meetup. Mm. Um, so I like that, and and that's kind of what I, what we're doing as well. I, my goal is to hold the twelve consecutive monthly meetups that are increasingly bigger and well better produced, and then we learn how to organize an event rather than jump straight to a conference, um, which is what we what I've done in previous companies and. Um, it's it, it's doable it's just much easier when you have a regular returning list of meetups and yes conferences are there's so much work i didn't realize how much work they are but it takes it takes uh, tell, tell me, takes a village. Yeah, tell, yeah. tell me like some some behind the scenes stories about like what 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 what, what, what does it take to organize the next conference i mean thankfully we have a great community who wants to submit talks and be involved yeah. uh, so there's lots of time spent going through the, the applications for people <laughs> to speak and, you know, talking to the, the potential speakers and figuring out who would be a good fit. And then even after that, there's coordinating with those speakers to make them understand how to have a high quality talk in some instances for like sending them a mic or some, some gear to make sure that they have a, a good talk. And that's just the speaker side. Then there's like the filming side. I have, I think I have three videos that I'm doing for conf and, you know, that are hopefully well-produced. So that's taking time. I'm coordinating with my now team of four DevRels like on videos that they're making too. Um, There's the keynote, which helping write the script for that and make sure that that's, you know, succinctly telling the message of the whole event uh, is, is another big thing, you know, filming that on site and like finding locations and working with logistics of getting people uh, in person for some of those things. It's, it's a lot. And that's yeah. just even before the event. And you yeah. get to the event and you have community moderators, team moderators, setting up channels on Discord. Hassan, who we just hired, is like leading Discord. He's going to make sure it's an incredible experience for the event. So I'm super excited about that. I know that you're uh, friends with him as well. So that's awesome. 
yeah, uh, great hire. Uh, it was actually fairly competitive, uh, which is pretty <laughs> interesting. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> uh, I was worried for him. So the, the background this is uh, Nutlope for on Twitter. And uh, mm-hmm. the background is like, I knew him when he was just graduating from college uh, and he was part of my career community. Uh, and he joined Fig and Fig was a early stage, super early startup. And I was like, yeah, I mean, you know, th- there's some risk here, but also they, they have good backing. And then they mm-hmm. laid him off in two months. Yeah. And as much as like, you know, I've been exposed to Silicon Valley startups, like that is very, that doesn't happen. Yeah. Um, so, so, uh, but he turned it around. Uh, I'll, I'll credit to him. And he's been here for one week and he's already doing an amazing job. So I'm That's super, awesome. super excited about him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people like that are going to be successful anyway. You just, you know, try to catch them early. Makes um, my job easy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, so, so we got right into this. Uh, you joined, you joined Vercel a year and a half ago ish, two years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, year and, and now you're hiring DevRels. Um, yep. What's the ramp been like? Uh, when did you start dis- deciding to grow the team? Uh, mm-hmm. And how do you hire? Yeah. I started hiring for my team in, I would say probably about May. No, probably April is when I like started putting out feelers for, for people to join. And it's a lot of work. I, I think there's a lot of people looking to break into the DevRel space, but then there's a subset of those people who align with what you're trying to do and who are also active in your community, ideally. Because um, then they understand the values and what you're trying to do, which makes it a lot easier. <laughs> it's easier to teach the technical skills of like video production than it is to teach being passionate about the technology in the community. So it's taken some time to get to where we're at now with uh, four people on my team, um, Delba, Steven, Hassan, and Steph. Um, she starts on Monday. And they're, I'm, I'm just so excited. They're all great. Uh, I couldn't have picked or couldn't have found better people um, so I'm, I'm really, really excited to have them on the team, but it's, it's difficult. Like hiring, I, I didn't have as much experience being the, like the directly responsible hiring manager. I was just like partially involved a lot of the time before. So it's uh it's an investment of time for sure. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, what is a hiring loop uh, for Vercel DevRel look like? Yeah. So one of the, one of the really cool things about DevRel, I think, and I, I was almost going to tweet this the other day. It's like, you see people on Twitter who are upset about uh, dev hiring processes, rightfully so, right? Yeah. And then you look at DevRel and it's like, huh. you can <laughs> learn like so much about somebody from their online presence to where you get to the interview <laughs> stage and you're like, I already know this person. Like, yeah. If somebody wanted to hire me, everything I've done is online. Like my whole portfolio, all my videos, all the work I do. There's obviously a story behind that, but it, it's it's interesting how much you can learn ahead of time. So there's no there, there's less of like you know coding challenges or anything, and more of understanding how they want to grow as a as a developer, as a content creator, as somebody who's working with communities to make sure that that aligns with where we want to go because. I think ultimately, like the people that I'm trying to hire for DevRel, they have to be motivated independently on the stuff that we're working on, such that it aligns with where we're going. Because DevRel is such, it, it can be an individual content created type position. And 
that can differ if, if you don't really care about what you're doing, you might start to veer off into like, I'm doing this for myself. I'm not really doing this for the company. So it's important the people you hire want to work on the tools you're building. They want to be involved in the community that you're building. And they, you know, they enjoy the trajectory of where their career would be going in DevRel. Do you have a policy on what is personal content versus company content? Um, what should be on Vercel's YouTube versus their own YouTube, stuff like that? I wish I knew. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I knew. Because honestly, I struggle with that myself. Yeah. I don't even know sometimes. It, the lines are blurry. Um, lines are blurry. They're very blurry. And I think there's a, I almost think about it like uh, tech reviewers who review content. You know, they sometimes have sponsored content where it's like, so, you know, a, a company paid me to make this review. And then they also have like hot takes or like personal opinions. And some of the content that I've produced since I've kind of been in leading DevRel is like, when I put out a, a personal opinion piece, that's me. Like, yes, I work at Vercel, but I'm putting this out under me. But if I'm building like, you know, the getting started guide to Next.js, like that's that's part of Vercel stuff. Yeah, yeah. That's how I've kind of divided it in my head. But I don't know. <laughs> um, who knows? <laughs> who knows? Um, I, I, so I, look, I do think, uh, and these are my evolving thoughts. Uh, so first of all, um, I'll, I'll chime in with a bit of my own perspective. So hmm. first thing you learn about Twitter, their Twitter, you do not, do not want to tweet hiring opinions. It's everyone yes. believes that they know how to hire uh, <laughs> and no one, no one cares about your context or nuance. I'm glad I didn't tweet that. <laughs> um, so for example, the, the thing that you would get canceled for is, oh, so if I have a life, I have family, I have kids, and mm -hmm. I've worked in closed source companies all my life, I can't work for you. Mm -hmm. uh, and that, that's not true, but like, you don't get to say that, they'll just cancel you uh, without thinking. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, the, the other thing is, um, is what, you, what you just said about people knowing you before you apply, uh, that does help, right? Um, you know, it's whether or not you like, you like it, or whether or not it's fair, um, having a public record of, of um, of work uh, actually makes it a lot easier, and it's much actually much better of a serialization deserialization algorithm than a thirty minute code challenge. Right? Oh yeah. Um, so I always like to say that you don't have to be internet famous; you just have to be instantly verifiable. Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah. So it's like a it's very much like a, like a proof of work type of thing. Like yeah. Um, I don't have to know who you are, but when I look you up, I, I can, I should be able to tell that your work is legit in some, some shape or form. Um, and, and so my, my relationship with that is uh, one of my Amazon interviews. Um, I, I was interviewing with Amazon for a developer relations position there. And this person came in and sat down across from me and he had my blog up and he was like, this is just a formality. I just read your blog. Right. Like he didn't, he didn't know who I was and that's fine. Like I'm not, I'm not going to be known to everybody, but like yeah. uh, making myself easily discoverable made it so much easier. Uh, mm -hmm. And as a, and I think that's definitely an advantage that some people can choose to build if they, if they want to. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, just to emphasize that point, like Steph, who's joining our team on Monday, it's actually, it's really funny. Both Steph and Delba like used to be in med school and then they're like, eh, really? like, I'm not going to do this. <laughs> And now they, you know, changed careers into being a developer. And I saw one of Steph's videos on Tailwind and I had never seen any of her content before. I saw it. I was like, wow. Which one? Which one? Which one? Let's, let's um, I've retweeted her stuff before. I don't know what, let me find what her Twitter handle exactly is. I believe it's Steph Dietz. Um, I, just, Steph, I just like featuring things. Yeah. 
Steph underscore D I E T Z underscore. But she tweeted a video about like building with Tailwind a long time ago. And I saw, and I was like, uh, she's great. And she has, th- you know, 320 followers. She could have thousands because she makes great content. <laughs> and I immediately, I was like, she would be a great fit on our team. I think she understands how to create content and convey the message well. Like I watched her video and I didn't even know a lot about what she was talking about in one of her videos. And she explained it really well. So she's been working with us for a few videos, like some of the Vercel ones. Um, and I was like, yeah, she should come. She should come on full time. Um, so I'm really excited. Like the Webflow versus coding one was really interesting to me because it's a it's an interesting perspective on it. Awesome. Yeah, and she she gets the thumbnails for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a whole art to the thumbnails. That's true. But I'm really excited she's joining. She's great. Okay, so it's interesting because I saw her putting up more Svelte content. And I was like, oh, she's interesting. She's kind of uh, going into this Svelte direction, but so, like she'll, she'll be producing more Next.js content now. Oh, no, actually, she's going to be focusing a lot on Svelte and Nuxt. Um, ah, okay. Which is great because we like both of those from a Vercel perspective. You know, I love Svelte and I love what Nuxt is doing too. And she started using a lot of Vue and Nuxt. I was like, hey, you should check out Svelte. And she started using it. She's like, wow, <laughs> this is so much better. Like, I like this so much more. Yeah. Uh, so she really likes Svelte too. I'm excited to have her make more content on that. Like the latest video she just put out was essentially like JavaScript you need to know for using Svelte. And it was like 40 minutes long. <laughs> like It would have taken me like three weeks to put together that video. And she, she cranked it out. So she's great. Awesome. It's awesome. Awesome. So yeah. So it, does, that, does that mean you're adopting? So, okay. What, what are the... At Netlify, we had the with like each DevRel focus on a specific community, right? So mm-hmm. uh, I was React, and then uh, Sarah slash Divya was Vue, and then mm-hmm. Taro's Angular. Uh, do you have like a framework split, or how do you split stuff? Yeah, I think we're we're still trying to figure that out a little bit. Um, yeah. Right now, there there's a little bit of ownership like that. I wouldn't necessarily say framework split, but like Steph will be focusing more on the next view as felt type of things, you know, Del was looking more at the react next JS side of things, but we haven't really formalized that yet, but that might happen in the future. Um, I think overall from like a, a content perspective, um, you know, obviously we'll, we'll always have content on, on react and next JS, but yeah, I, I'm really happy with the direction Svelte's going and Nuxt and, you know, other up and coming frameworks. That was something I didn't talk about earlier either, but it's it's kind of an interesting, you know, you're seeing people talk about up and coming frameworks who are aimed at smaller JavaScripts and progressive hydration and even spelt in a lot of ways. And like the one thing that I'm really excited about with React 18 and the future of React is like bringing more of those ideas, which are excellent and making them accessible to more people and incrementally adoptable, like NPM update away from zero kilobyte JS bundle. Like that's, I'm so excited about that. <laughs> yeah. Um, Astro, I guess, is kind of the other up and coming conversation piece. Um, so I haven't released this conversation yet, but I also had another chat with uh, um, Mishko Hevery, who who's working on Quick as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've been trying to classify these as essentially like bootloaders because they kind of, Astro kind of works with React or Svelte mm-hmm. or Vue. Um, but you, they, they're kind of JavaScript optional, you know, in, mm-hmm. in more of a more native of a way than 
Next.js could be JavaScript optional, but it's not, mm-hmm. um, you know, so uh, it, it's an interesting evolution for sure. I don't have a framing around it. I don't know if you have. Yeah, I, I, one of the things I think is fascinating about newer frameworks is that they get a, they have the space to explore new ideas and innovate. And then if the ideas are good enough, they get adopted in mass. Like, I, I think a lot of what Svelte is doing is influencing the ecosystem at large. And I think like with Astro too, I love how easy it is to use Markdown with Astro. Like Next.js needs to have better support for, for Markdown and, and MDX. So there's room for us to, to grow there. It's pretty good. What do you mean better support? It's pretty good. You just maybe, maybe I'm I, I'm obviously hypercritical of everything, but what, what, I would what could love be better? It I if there wasn't multiple ways to do Markdown in Next.js. So the pro and the con of that is that you have the flexibility to choose which one you want. But selfishly, from a like encapsulated bundled perspective, it would be great if it just worked out of the box. There's trade-offs, of course, but I. I don't know. That's a world I would like to get to. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I mean, you, you know, you control the MDX spec or whatever. And, yeah, and kind of. <laughs> that's pretty, that's pretty. Um, yeah, actually there's this, is there a separate group that, what was the, what's the status on MDX actually? Yeah. So Tim co-created it. Um, and then I, I honestly, I'm not entirely sure how involved or not involved we are like we sponsor uh like unified and we we try to contribute back to that ecosystem but i I, at least i'm not involved in any of the spec decisions okay yeah yeah there there was a i know there was mdx v2 there was an mdx conf uh and Mm -hmm. i'm not sure what the organization is or who runs it that's a great question yeah Um, interesting. Okay. All right. Well, um, we can kind of leave that as an open question. Um, okay. So uh, any other thoughts on hiring for DevRel in general before, uh, before we go to the last thing? Um, Mostly, <coughs> I, I think the thing that I would leave with is for people, for people listening who are thinking about getting into DevRel, it's an incredible time to do it. And it's an incredible opportunity to grow in your career. Um, yeah. I feel like I've tend to, 100x uh, what I've learned in the last year and a half. Just there's so much to learn, and DevRel allows you to really uh, throw stuff at the wall and, and see what sticks. So yeah. it's, it's no, great. There's a lot of okay. There's a lot of advice on on getting into DevRel, and it's obviously a, a fairly desirable job, at least to you and I, because we've <laughs> we've done it. Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, no, actually I get a lot of questions from founders who are like, when should I hire my first DevRel? Mm-hmm. Uh, how to hire, who to hire? Um, so I, I guess yeah. you, you were the target of that. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting too. Cause when I, when I joined for the longest time, like Guillermo and even Tim really were doing so yeah. much DevRel like, exactly. and, and they still do, right? Like they're still, yeah. they're still great about that, but it's, it's been interesting joining and starting to formalize some of those efforts because there was only only so much time in the day for you know the CEO and the 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 lead of Next.js to interact with um, you know field people's questions or field people's issues so that's where or create content or build a community or all the many different things so yeah, yeah, yeah. that is something that I do say like um, if you're a founder um, you know try to do the job first before you ha- hand off the job because if you can't do it um, then you're not going to be able to persuade people to join you or, or buy your stuff. Yep. And, and, you know, you, 
the, the founders on the DevRel team for, for sure, you know, and there's also something about DevRel is understanding marketing too, in some regard, whether, yeah. you know, it doesn't matter what the classification is, but that's great for founders too, because if you can do great developer marketing as a founder, you're going to, you know, knock it out of the park, especially what, what if you're your, doing dev tools. Yeah. What are your strongly held beliefs about developer marketing? That's a good question. Um, I think that like my philosophy on all of the content that I write is I try to be overly critical on respecting people's time. So I try to make things as succinct as possible and put the, the bottom line up front or like however you want to call it, the TLDR, um, and try to always, or as frequently as possible, ship high quality content all the time. It's like, it's, it's so difficult because <laughs> at, at some point you're going to lose your quality bar. Like yeah. you just can't scale without, you know, can you, dipping. okay, whoa, 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 this is okay. High quality content all the time. Can you, can you, uh, break that down? Like what, what does that actually mean on a, on a week to week basis? <laughs> yeah. I, I think for me, it's like, it's not letting a, a blog post go to prod without multiple people looking at it, or it's not, uh, -huh. it's not making a video and you know, having some kind of standards or guidelines for what the camera quality, the lighting, the audio, um, you're not just winging it, right? Like there has to be systems in place to cr consistently create good quality. If you don't have those systems, then you're pretty much, you're, you're setting yourself up for variance in your quality bar. And I think one of the things that I try to do with myself and, and people on my team is try to maintain that consistency such that if I click a Vercel link or I click a Next.js blog post, I'm going to get value out of it. Because if you ship one where you don't get value, you lose a little bit of trust. You're like, eh, this was kind of boring. Like I didn't really see anything good here. <laughs> That's true. It's an impossible goal, but it's uh, what I try to, it's what I try to go towards. Hey, I, I mean, I think you do a really good job. Um, I admire your, your videos. Um, and do, first of all, do you have a, like a, what I, how I, how I do videos uh, video? Oh, you're asking if I have like a tutorial on how I do video? Yeah. Uh, internally, yes. So when I- uh, Share it, share it, share when it. <laughs> I, when I joined and I realized I was going to start hiring, I was like, shit, I need to take yeah. what's in my head and put it into a Notion doc. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I've built up like a DevRel uh, guide, essentially, internally that I will- maybe release in the future. I think that could be kind of interesting to I talk mean, it's about. Kind of, it's a little bit your, your competitive advantage, um, mm -hmm. but also not really. I mean, you know, <laughs> uh, I, think it just, I think it just helps improve the quality of content online. Yeah. I would say so. that inevitably <laughs> at some point in the future, I'll probably make meta content on how to do DevRel at some point. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I, I, I admire the, the, the stuff that you do and, and uh, that's really great. Um, so, Thanks. okay. Uh, and uh, have you thought, what about content mix? Sorry for all these specific questions, by the way, cause like I'm, I'm like in the thick of it, right? It's totally so, fine. Yeah. Content mix, right? So YouTube is a very strong channel for you. Uh, blog posts. Uh, honestly, I, I don't read that many next, next year's blog posts, except for the version, version bumps. Um, so how do you, do you have a thought on like what percent of time you spend on some types of content versus others? Hmm. I am a big believer in two things. One is the content pipelines and two is I'm pretty long on video. 
So the pipeline of like idea to tweet, to blog, to video, to conference talk or whatever that looks like. And then I just love video. I mean, I, I used to be a part-time videographer. I, I love the artistic side of video and like the design side of it. So that level of visual expression, just, I love so much. And because, you know, my argument for it, whether it's biased or, or not, is that like, you can always listen to the video and then that's the audio uh, if you yeah. want to do that. Um, but it's a lot more work too. So there's, there's pros and cons, but I, I love video in an ideal world. You know, I would, I would be cranking out lots of video content, but it, it takes time. It takes yeah. time. Gotcha. Yeah. I'm biasing towards, uh, I've been thinking about this actually as well, like setting an official policy of video first content. So mm. what that means is that like, I have a lot of, I have like, you know, a lot of engineers in the company who have interesting thoughts to share, uh, but they never, they'll never sit down to write a blog post or they'll take forever to write, to write it. Like, you know, I've, I have some blog posts that have been drafted and just sitting in Jasper for two, two months. Cause like they didn't like it enough, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, but if I can get them to sit down for a 30 minute zoom, publish that zoom mm -hmm. and then uh, take that and then, you know, turn it into a written form of content, uh, then, then it's much easier on, on their side. Uh, and I get to produce more as well. So mm -hmm. it's something I'm thinking about. I'm not sure if your thoughts on, on that. I, I do have to run. But okay. this has yeah. been this has been super fun. I'm glad that we had a chance to talk. Yeah, uh, likewise. Um, and congrats on everything you've done so far. And uh, I think the team is just growing amazingly. So I'm learning a lot from watching you as well. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Ali, right, cheers. Awesome. See ya. <laughs>